there's probably three ways that you can use any social media platform. Way number one is a parking lot, which is you register your brand name and then you just say, look, I'm not updating my Twitter account because I don't use Twitter that much, so visit me over here. So it's literally just a redirect, but at least you own the name, right? Um, the second is to uh, use it to gain understanding about your audience. So maybe you're not actively posting, but you're listening, right? You're using it to gain insight. And the third is to actually engage people, to actually post stuff and to post content. And I think that the temptation for every, not just small business owners, but everybody is to do everything on every platform. I'll tell you what, Adam Brown, I couldn't agree more with our special guest this week, his perspective on the one, two, three different ways you can use social media. I agree with you. What a great show. Uh, Rohit is is such a, a smart person. And every year, it sounds like, I think this is our, this is our third time with Ro. Third on the show. year in a row. There's only three things that, are, that happen every year. The, the uh, Swallows come back to San Juan Capistrano. <laughs> Uh, the Patriots are in the Super Bowl. Oh, and Rohit Bargava is on Social Pros. Those those three things happen every single year. That's right. That's right. And some of these are are more preferable than others. Um, not that I'm not that I'm saying anything um, about about that. But you're exactly right. Uh, and every year, Rohit shares with us his insights around trends uh, with his non-obvious book. And he also talks a lot about his his new book about how small business owners and small business marketers can uh, can do their job and do their thing without a big budget. And I love, Jay, how he takes some of his trends and what he sees in kind of new technology and innovations and rolls those into the suggestions, in this case, for small business marketers. Absolutely. He is uh, such a, a, a brilliant individual. And what I like about Rohit is not only is he super smart, but he's exceedingly practical, right? There's, and you, you don't usually yeah. see that Venn diagram very often. People are usually really smart and less practical or really practical, but not really much of a visionary. And he's both. And you're going to enjoy this episode as you probably do every year if you're a longtime listener. But speaking of trends, uh, I want you to tell the kids at home, uh, our amazing listeners at Social Pros, about the new Salesforce State of Marketing Report, because it's a humdinger. It is. And that was a great segue, by the way. Thank so you. Plus, Thank one, you uh, plus one there. But you're exactly right. Uh, December of this year, we came out with our fifth annual state of marketing report. This is something that our Salesforce research group comes uh, comes through with. This year, we interviewed 4,100 senior marketers, communicators, social media professionals at companies and organizations, small and large. And what we do is every year, we kind of map up and map out what they're speaking of Venn Vin diagrams. What are they doing well? What are they needing assistance with and where are they being successful? We grade each of these 4,100 executives and their companies as being high performing or low performing. And it's so interesting, Jay, and what this uh, study shares uh, with its readers is some of the things that the high performing organizations are doing, especially around social media. Social media was such an integral part of this year's research report. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to find more comprehensive research, period. I mean, 4,100 marketers surveyed is is pretty uh, spectacular. It is really, really good. If you've not had a chance to download it, do it as soon as we're done with this episode. You can get it easily at bit.ly slash jaysays. Bitly slash jaysays, J-A-Y-S-A-Y-S, all lowercase. It'll take you right to the report. Download it. You're going to love it. 
Also, uh, last week on the show, uh, when you listened, we had Mr. Andy Sertovitz, who is the head of socialmedia.org, one of our amazing benefactors on Social Pros this year. Socialmedia.org is simply the best organization for big company social media managers to help solve common problems, get support, get counsel. Adam, you've been in the organization twice, once when you were at Dell, once when you were at Coca-Cola. Uh, it is the best place to be if you are doing this for a big brand. It is. And uh, listeners of our show have heard me talk about it. And I can remember one time that I was, uh, I was leading social at Coca-Cola and the Federal Trade Commission had just come out with its first kind of standards for, for social media and disclosure and things like that. And it was something that I think most everyone in the marketing and social media industries accepted, but we had to realize how are we going to apply this? How are we actually going to execute this? And I think it was because of socialmedia.org and the ability to to go on to the forums and in real time talk to colleagues at other companies and have that resource that helped us kind of solve that and get ahead of that uh, and be able to execute that. Uh, and that's just one of many, many, many kind of opportunities and experiences that socialmedia.org members have every day. If you're running social on a big brand, uh, we suggest that you apply. They have a pretty sophisticated screening process, but at least give it a shot. Go to socialmedia.org slash socialpros. Socialmedia.org slash socialpros to give that a shot. Uh, and we hope you get in. If you haven't listened to our, our show with Andy from last week, do that. You'll love that episode as well. Without further ado, please put your ears on this one. It is Social Pros with Rohit Bargava. Rohit Bhargava, who is the author of not just one, but two new books. Dude, talk about an overachiever. I tell you. It's crazy. His new book, uh, Non-Obvious, the 2019 edition, How to Predict Trends and Win the Future, is available now. And brand new, minutes ago, seemingly, another new book from Rohit, The Non-Obvious Guide to Small Business Marketing Without a Big Budget. Man, this guy is, is knocking out books uh, like it's nobody's <laughs> business. He's also... As I recall, the third time he's been on this show, Rohit, welcome back to the Social Pros Podcast. Thank you, three-timer club. I'm very uh, honored. Uh, the smoking robe will be delivered to your home uh, in, in just, a, just a couple of days, like the five-timer club on SNL. You, you'll and a home version of the game. It has already. Oh, nice. Perfect. Perfect. Slippers, too. So tell us, uh, let's talk about trends first, and we'll talk about small business in a minute. Adam and I were talking about this before you jumped on the air with us, and, and, and I'm sure you've had to answer this question the last few days. As we're recording this, uh, the big kerfuffle about Gillette's uh, television commercial and, and sort of taking men to task for being uh, inappropriate, et cetera, uh, has created a lot of chatter. One of your uh, sort of trends in, in the book is, is muddled masculinity. And you wrote the book before the Gillette thing came out. So how did, I mean, that is amazing. That is like some mm -hmm. crystal ball action. Tell me that story. Yeah, that was um, me kind of reflecting on the fact that, uh, as you know, I do this report every every year, and every year there's 15 new trends. And for the past several years, there's been a bunch of trends around uh, female empowerment. Um, there was one that we called fierce femininity. And then last year, there was a trend uh, that we had researched called ungendered, which was kind of about this idea that gender it matters less um, than it has in the past. And so this year, we kind of turned it around and said, well, let's focus on masculinity. And I tried really hard to have this like 
one lens of masculinity to say, hey, it's like men are becoming like more in touch with their emotions. Like that's one thing that's happening. But then like, you know, uh, men are like reevaluating their place in society. And and there was just so much going on that the trend eventually became something we called muddled masculinity because the question marks are the trend themselves. Like this idea that uh, being a man today is forcing us to question what's going on and uh, think about our role in culture, our role in society, and like who we want to be. And and you know, for me as a dad of of two boys, like thinking about like what do our what do we want our sons to be too. I think it's such an important topic. And, and like you, I've got a seven year old boy, and you know, talking about this subject is important. The other piece of this is, and I know Jay can probably speak to this too, is we go to conferences and conventions over the past couple of weeks. Everybody's been talking about this campaign. And the question I'd have for you, Rohit, is kind of from where you sit, your vantage point, what advice and counsel would you give to companies after your, your piece and what you wrote and now also seeing the reaction uh, to the, uh, the Gillette ads? You know, it's one of the hardest things to do when you're writing about uh, something like a trend and offering a point of view is to be comfortable with the point of view being a question instead of an answer. And I think that a lot of times what brands in particular will try and do is they'll try and say, look, our point of view is like, this is the answer. And like they walk in and they say, like, let me give you the answer. And I think that's part of what got Gillette into trouble, um, that people wanted a message about this. They maybe didn't necessarily want it from them, but, you know, they, they this is a topic that people have been thinking about. But someone coming in and, and saying, well, this is what the way it is without having earned the right to do that always backfires in social media. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Speaking of, of backfiring in social media, one of your other trends for, for 2019, again, our guest this week is Rohit Bhargava, who writes a, a series every year, publishes a brand new book each January 1st called The Non-Obvious Trends for the Year, 15 new trends each year. And one of your trends this year, Ro, was innovation envy, that, that sort of innovation for innovation's sake, and everybody sort of feels like the, the best and highest way to, to be is to be an innovator. I think that's symptomatic and, and an issue in, in social as well, right? We're always searching for the next thing. Like, oh, Facebook's not working very well. You need to get yourself some Snapchat. Snapchat's not working so well. You need to get yourself some Instagram stories or whatever the circumstances are. Do you, do you see that as well, that kind of merry-go-round effect? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny um, that that a lot of times you, we write about something and then you see examples of this like afterwards. And it was funny because um, just I think this week in Wired, um, I saw an article about the backlash that's been growing against the open plan office and this whole idea that like we used to think, oh, this is great. Everybody's on the same level and there's no more doors on offices anymore and, and ping pong tables are great. And then all of a sudden people realize that, you know what, like, it's kind of distracting to have all these people like walking around and doing all this stuff. And, and we're not Google and we shouldn't try and be Google. And, and so like the innovation envy trend was so interesting because there's so many symptoms of it. I mean, a company running towards trying to create a hackathon. And if you ask them, like, why are you doing a hackathon? I say, well, everybody else is doing one, so we should just do one too. Um, and one of the things I love when, when I put together these terms and when I'm writing them is putting two words that don't seem like they go together together. And, and in this case, innovation, which is something everyone wants, and envy, which is something nobody wants. Um, and putting those together, it kind of seemed like an interesting way of describing what I saw happening in the world. 
one thing that's interesting you talk and i read that same article about open plan offices hilarious right it became all the rage and then like oh maybe this is not a good idea at all and it's it's one of the things that you talked about i think a little bit in in strategic spectacle one of your other uh, trends for the year and this idea that let's let's just do something you know wild so we can get uh, earned attention, right? That that paid attention is expensive. Owned attention is also difficult. Certainly shared attention through social is having its own set of challenges. So maybe if we can do some sort of a stunt that will go viral, I'm throwing up my air quotes now, uh, that, that that's the secret. I, I don't think that's a very good strategy. I wrote a whole book recently called Talk Triggers about having a word of mouth strategy instead of a viral strategy. What do you think about strategic spectacle? Uh, is this idea of trying to break through by being um, disproportionately wide is that actually a strategy or is it just a trend that uh, is going to uh, pass like uh, open offices? It is interesting that you put something like spectacle, which by its so very nature is a fleeting sort of viral thing, like you said. And if you try and think about being strategic with it, you're right to raise the question of like, look, is that even possible? And, you know, nobody wants to create a spectacle because it feels like a uh, negative thing, but being spectacular, I mean, of course, we all want to be that, right? So I do think that you can create something that generates a lot of attention in a short period of time. I mean, I um, look, we're almost coming up to the Super Bowl, right? And um, and that's a great moment in time where a lot of people are trying to create a strategic spectacle. And the idea being that hopefully that spectacle will generate enough awareness that people will then start saying, oh, you know what, I need I need to get some of that. And I think that some brands are able to take that and generate that awareness that then convinces people that they should check it out later. And some brands are just wasting their money because they're just, like you said, doing something viral, but it's not actually uh, in, in, you know, in your terminology from your awesome book, it's not a talk trigger. You know, it doesn't create uh, any word of mouth. Rohit, I'm curious if, and to take Jay's point about the spectacle, if different spectacles work with different generations of people. I know as one of your other jobs, you're a professor of marketing at Georgetown University, and you mentioned you have two kids, so you're around a lot of young people. And one of the things that I think a lot of us, you know, maybe even older marketers try to do is we try to kind of get our finger on that zeitgeist, that finger on that pulse of the younger person. Do you find that there are aspects and that there are trends that seem to be resonating more with younger, you know, from college age and younger than, you know, the, the kind of the older demographics? Any, any huge discrepancies that you see? Yeah, I mean, I do think there are certainly generational discrepancies. You're right. And and one of the trends that I wrote about was something I called side quirks. And, you know, it was related to this idea that I think a lot of us have heard of the side hustle and this sense of like, even w- though you have a job and you're doing whatever you're doing for your job, like you need something on the side. And, you know, what's interesting is uh, in, in the younger generation, like that is sort of a, a default position, you know, like everybody has some sort of side hustle. And in fact, more and more of them are seeing themselves as being the sort of person that could turn that side hustle into something that they spend most of their time on. Whereas, you know, you look at the the older generation, people who, you know, grew up in a different time and who are now in their 50s and 60s, they're also exploring their side quirks and their side hustles. But for them, it was never something they could do on the side while they had their career. For them, it's like, okay, I'm done with my career. Now I'm going to retire and spend time on my side hustle and spend time on my side quirk on my thing, because that was the thing I 
always wanted to do but never could have done for work. Well, a perfect segue, I think, into our, our next topic. You know, so, so oftentimes, I think the side hustle turns into kind of an entrepreneurial opportunity. And uh, the title of your other book that is literally just been released in the past couple of days is The Non-Obvious Guide to Small Business Marketing Without a Big Budget. Fascinating topic. And again, so appropriate, I think, in this time and age. How, how did you kind of get the idea to, uh, to kind of focus on that small business owner and the small business, you know, in many cases, that small business owner is having to wear all the hats, which includes marketing. And again, they, they don't have the big hustle budget. They have the small hustle budget. How, how did you come up with the idea for the book? Yeah, for me, it was, I mean, I spent most of my career in marketing and I was always working with a big budget that was not mine. You know, it was somebody else's money to spend, you know, because I was an agency guy, right? And then I started my own business and I became a small business owner and I started thinking differently about, you know, whether I'm going to spend money on certain things and whether I'm not. This idea kind of came about because I've been, you know, for the last almost 10 years now, I've kind of become the non-obvious guy, right? I do this book every year. Um, It's a brand. um, You know, we went off and trademarked it and did all that stuff, right? But we wanted to make it broader. And I was looking at just this idea that people want how-to advice. And right now, the place they turn is like a dummy's guide or an idiot's guide. Mm-hmm. And the problem with those is that they're so fluffed up that like I picked up the, the, for example, the dummy's guide to digital marketing. And there's like literally five pages explaining what the internet is. I mean, who needs that? Right? Like that's such a waste. Um, and so the idea of the non-obvious guides was like, can we write them with a tone of voice that's like having coffee with an expert? So like, that's the tagline. These are meant to be like having coffee with an expert. And then the small business marketing guide is just the first of many coming from different authors. So we're going to have probably 10 this year, um, hopefully even more next year on all sorts of topics. So event planning, employee engagement, like understanding blockchain. I mean, there's some there's some great, great topics there. So, you know, for me, I just wanted to create a how-to guide and take everything that I had learned about marketing on every level um, and try and put it into a single useful kind of bullet point style book. I think, Ro, with your with your answer just there, you almost answered my next question. And that is, you are the non-obvious guy. You are the trend meister, if you will. Does being a shrewd small business marketer without a big budget here in 2019 mean you're doing kind of the simple, more traditional stuff really well? Or is it being able to use and leverage and benefit from these new trends and these new innovations? Where is that that balance of, of doing the simple stuff versus the new innovative kind of crafty, sharp stuff? I think um, if there's one kind of message from this, it's something that that I think Jay alluded to earlier, which is the smartest small business marketing strategy is a strategy, not a tactic. And a lot of times what you find um, many small business owners who are not marketing professionals will do is they'll latch on to a tactic and say, okay, now I need to just like amp up my Facebook page and that's all I'm going to focus on. And, you know, one of the things that I try and share in the book is like there's a strategic way to use these different platforms. So for example, you know, there's probably three ways that you can use any social media platform. Way number one is a parking lot, which is you register your brand name and then you just say, look, I'm not updating my Twitter account because I don't use Twitter that much. So visit me over here. So it's literally just a redirect, but at least you own the name, right? Um, The second is to uh, use it to 
gain understanding about your audience. So maybe you're not actively posting, but you're listening, right? You're using it to gain insight. And the third is to actually engage people, to actually post stuff and to post content. And I think that the temptation for every, not just small business owners, but everybody is to do everything on every platform. You know, not all of us can be as prolific as, you know, as Jay, right? I mean, you know, we can't all be like posting stuff um, all the time. We don't have the personality for it, right? Or we don't have the the um, drive and the passion for it. Uh, and so part of the challenge is like, you know, I mean, you'll appreciate this. You guys will appreciate this. I started a Twitter account back uh, maybe five years ago for a book that I'd written. And it was a, not my Twitter account for me. It was my Twitter account for the book. And I was tweeting as if I were the book. And then, you know, six months later, and I was kind of done doing that. So now I've got this other Twitter account. And it's like this traditional problem of like, am I going to keep up two Twitter accounts? Right. And so I did one post on that Twitter account. And I actually tell this story in the book. And that one post said, hey, thanks for following me. Um, I'm not actively updating this anymore. Why don't you follow Rohit Bhargava over here on Twitter? Because he tweets a lot more than I do. Clearly, he has more time. And it was kind of like this parking lot thing that said, hey, I'm not updating this anymore. It's done. Go over here. The old detour detour sign. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times we're afraid to do that. Like, it feels like this, oh, man, I started this Twitter account. and Now I got to keep it going forever. That's funny. That, that's one of your trends in this year's uh, trend book is deliberate downgrading. And it feels like that's what you have done with your Twitter account. You have downgraded it deliberately and, and turned it from uh, you know, way to use social number three into way to use social uh, number one. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been blogging, um, you know, it's, a fast, it's fascinating for me to think this, but I started blogging in 2004. So it's been 15 years now that I've been blogging. And a couple of years ago, I, I, um, stopped taking comments on any of my blog posts. I just removed the commenting. Me too. Yeah, because I wasn't finding any value from it. And, you know, if you had asked me back in 2004, I would have told you the most important thing about social media is conversation and what kind of a person wouldn't allow comments on their blog, right? And, you know, here we are more than a decade later saying, you know what, conversation is good, but like people posting stupid crap is, you know, I'm not the arbiter of that. Like, I don't need to create a place for people to be stupid. And no, those conversations happen in other places, right? It happens on LinkedIn. It happens on Facebook. It happens, uh, you know, they they still happen. They just are now in a different venue in some cases. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to, what we always say as a company that does a lot of social media strategy, Adam as well, is if you have a strategy that is more than 500 days old, you don't actually have a strategy. You just think that you do. And and I think, you know, blog comments is just one proof point for for that kind of thinking, right? You, you have to keep uh, evolving. And that's one of the reasons why your commitment to creating books in series is so brilliant, right? The non-obvious guide comes out every January 1st, 15 new trends. Here's what you need to know this year. You absolutely need to buy it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, non-obvious 2019, available in all the places and ways the book can be procured. And now the new series uh, about all kinds of other marketing and business stuff from the non-obvious company. I cannot wait to see where all those go. I think you need a non-obvious guide to uh, to podcasting written by uh, by myself and Adam Brown. <laughs> You have a uh, open invite whenever you want, my friend. Thanks, I appreciate <laughs> I think you have a lot of readers for that, for sure. Thank you. We'll see. We'll see what we can do. Non-obvious guide to working for Salesforce from Adam. Mm, there you go. <laughs> it's a big company. It's probably it's probably a large enough addressable market to sell those books. Uh, that's, that's true. You know, I'm going to give you a um, I'm going to give you a sneak peek at my uh, at my next one, which I haven't even announced yet, which I'm super excited. Oh, about. okay. Oh, right here on the show today. Third run roll. Go ahead. 
show today, sneak uh, sneak preview. Um, it's going to be the non-obvious guide to traveling for work, and it's going to be all about being a road warrior and nice. everything that you know, we know from having done this about optimizing the experience and getting the upgrades and maximizing your points all the way through to like just lifestyle stuff. You know, how do you survive on the road? So um, and great. Are you writing that one or you got somebody uh, doing it for you? Yeah, I mean, I actively go out and interview people who I know are on the road all the time. Yeah. So you'll be getting a call from me. Yeah. Can we do the non-obvious guide to weird shit I've seen in airports? Because I can definitely <laughs> fill like half a book on that. Uh, but uh, I've, got, I've got some stories, including a Southwest flight attendant being punched out cold by a passenger. I saw that once. I'll say that story someday. Yeah. This might be the hashtag marketing campaign for the said new book. Yeah, there you go. We reenact all the weird stuff, right? On like Facebook lives, uh, yeah, like a, like a weird theater troupe. I think that's a good idea. I call, uh, I call not getting punched out cold by you. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, I'm excited for, uh, for that. When's the, when's the travel book coming out? Uh, I'll be working on it throughout uh, this year. So probably in the fall. Awesome. That'd be great. Just in time for the, uh, for the, you know, air traffic controllers to be back online or something. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the new book, the small business book available from you, uh, Amazon, airports, Barnes and Noble, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. They're, uh, they're both going to be available everywhere. The, um, I believe uh, just the non-obvious 2019 is available in the airport right now, um, but probably in another month or two, we'll have the small business guide That's there great. as well. Otherwise, I just saw, I just so, saw the non-obvious guide in the airport uh, yesterday. I was delighted to see it as always. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It does. Uh, it's a good marketing strategy to put a big 2019 on the cover for a book that comes out in January. <laughs> yeah. January 1st. People are like, oh, I guess this is <laughs> no, recent. This, no? is the re- this, is the re- this is the relevant one. I'll buy that. Neil sold all those page a day calendars. You know, too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not a lot of back catalog sales though. You know what I need is the 2016 trends. That's uh, what I need to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is, um, you know, that is part of the challenge to regulate that correctly. So it's a good thing I um, own the publishing company, you know, otherwise <laughs> I'd never get away with doing this. That's for sure. They would never let you. Uh, although I should say, we talked about this last year, we were discussing the 28 trends on the show, 2018 trends on the show. One of the things that's great about your, your trend series is that you actually have the, compendium of all of the trends at the back of each book and you and you update it and say okay these are the ones that we got right these are the ones that we got wrong these are the ones that are sort of too you know still incomplete uh, that's always a really fascinating mm-hmm. exercise to kind of see how a trend from you know seven years ago has has aged anything new this year in that update you're like hey this is this is sort of a, a meaningful development in the truthfulness or inaccuracy of one of the things you've called in the past you know, there's always, um, it, it's interesting because um, the temptation for a lot of people to say, oh, just give me the 2019 trends, everything else must be old. And actually what ends up happening is um, if there's a trend that I had written about in 2016, for example, uh, what often will happen is it continues to accelerate and it becomes kind of obvious instead of non-obvious. Um, right. But it doesn't go away and it doesn't reverse itself. Um, it actually just becomes more common knowledge. And so... You know, the reason for putting that whole appendix, and by the way, it's not just uh, listing the trends, it's also grading them based on feedback yeah. from readers. So each trend from the past has a letter grade. And there's really this sort of ongoing dedication to always finding new ideas and evaluating past trends. So as you know, I, I write this weekly newsletter, um, email newsletter, which comes out every Thursday. And the point of that is to highlight interesting, underappreciated stories every week. 
and relate them to the trends because they're kind of the early warning signals, right? They're the um, the pieces of the puzzle. And a lot, and the analogy I often use when I'm when I'm teaching this kind of method to people is that we need to start collecting ideas the way we collect frequent flyer miles. And you know what I mean by that is like when you collect frequent flyer miles, you don't turn around the next day and say, okay, where can I go? You collect them for some time until eventually you cash them in. And I, I often think about ideas that way. Um, and that's kind of what leads to this book. I, I like that analogy. And I also, like Jay, like the fact that you can go back in, uh, in both the 2019 book and the subsequent ones and look at all the previous uh, trends. Curious to that point, this is my last question for you, Rohit. Grading yourself, have you gotten better, in your opinion, at predicting these trends? As you go back now, 10 years of doing this, have you gotten better? And is there any aspect or tell that you're using now that maybe makes your, 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 uh, your predictions better that you weren't using in the first couple of years? The short answer is yes and yes. <laughs> they have, you know, the process has gotten better over time. And, and I think the secret, if there is one, um, between the trends that have done better and the ones that have kind of, you know, melted <laughs> away a little bit, uh, is the ones that do really well tend to be more elevated in their thinking. And what I mean by that is, you know, I might talk about a trend, but it is very rarely attached to an industry. So for example, if you look at like muddled masculinity, like that's not a retail trend. It's not a financial services trend. It's not a healthcare trend. It has examples from all of those different sectors. And so one of the ongoing challenges that I've, I think that I've gotten better at doing over the years is forcing myself to abandon an idea if there's not enough examples of it from multiple industries. And that's really tough from a discipline point of view because there's sometimes there's something that you really want to be a trend, but you just can't find the evidence for it. And so like one of the things people will see if they go and look at kind of the appendix and the resources is for each one of these trends, there's usually about 30 or 40 backing stories so many that we don't even print them in the book. Like there's an online resources section because if I printed the links and the stories for all of these sources, you know, that would take up 25 pages of the book. Um, and I don't want to, you know, make it too thick. So there's a lot of backup behind all of these. And the idea is like, let's elevate the thinking because that means that it's much more likely to be a trend. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I love, I love that because if, yeah, if, if it's too narrow, it's a, it's a, it's an Uber trend for somebody, but maybe not a trend for somebody else. And what I think the keys to the success of this methodology in the book is that these trends apply universally, maybe a little too strong, but, but nearly universally, like you, everybody can pick up this book and be like, Oh, yeah, I get this. I see this in my own life. If it's, this is going to make a lot of sense to you. If you're a genetic modifier, uh, then, then it's only relevant to a certain audience. I love it. Ro, we're going to ask you the questions that we ask you every year and that we ask all of our <laughs> guests on this show. doesn't usually work out like that. Uh, I have not, because I was running late for the call today, I, I have not gone back to see what you answered last year. So we'll have to put our best people on that. As they you know, the combination on the uh, vault. Yeah, that's right. Uh, here we are in the ninth year of this show. We've been doing this show about as long as we've been doing the book. And the two questions we ask everybody are, what one tip, or it could be a trend in your case, would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro? What one tip? I would say um, it's part of my Twitter bio, so maybe this is cheating, but listen before talking. And it sounds like easy advice, but it really isn't. And we have yeah, to get better. It's easy advice until your boss wants the engagement report. You're like, yeah, but bro, I'm just listening. 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, they want the report that says, you know, here's the numbers, right? Um, yeah, yeah, you're listening. That's great. What's our sentiment on the listening? But you're right. Uh, no question about that. I think you are correct. Adam thinks you're correct as well. Second uh, and final question for you, Rohit Bhargava, who's got two new books, uh, Non-Obvious 2019, New Trends, and... Uh, non-obvious guide to small business marketing without spending a big money, uh, both available in places you can get books. If you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be? I don't recall if I answered this the same way last year, so we can go back and check, but I am very inspired by Steve Martin because of the way he sees the world and the way he writes. And mm-hmm. I would just like ask him how he spends his days. I mean, I just think that would be fascinating to get inside his mind of like what he does and how he thinks now. Yeah. Like how much time does he spend playing banjo versus writing versus just like hanging out? Like what is your, what does your calendar look like Steve Martin? Uh, I don't, I don't know if it was you, but I'm almost positive that somebody in the last year answered Steve Martin, but something I I think it wasn't, you know, we'll have to go back. We'll check the database. Did you, have you taken his, uh, uh, his class on masterclass.com? I saw it, uh, but I have not taken it yet. I have not either, but I'm told by a couple of people um, who are in the speaking biz that it's really, really good. Uh, I heard the exact same thing, Jay. Yeah. yeah. And I've done a couple of the master class, and he's the next on my list. Cool. Yeah, I'll uh, have to put him next on my list too. Yeah, that's fantastic. Bro, thanks very much for being here again. We really appreciate it uh, each and every year. Uh, congratulations on both books. And now another one just announced here on the Social Pros Podcast and many, many more to come in the Non-Obvious series. Look them up. If you've seen Non-Obvious on a book, that's a book you should buy. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, thank you as well. Fantastic uh, to be with you as always. And we got a bunch of great guests coming up. We sure uh, do. Next week... Mark Schaefer, whose new book, Marketing Rebellion, is amazing. The week after that, some guy named Seth Godin uh, here on the social. Who's, who's that guy? Never heard oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, Seth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And fun fact, announced, I think, for the first time here in the show, my brand new show, my new podcast, uh, and my new video show called The Talk Triggers Show launches on February 5th. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, search for Talk Triggers. Uh, also on YouTube, it's going to be a blast. It's six minutes a week, only six minutes, uh, case studies of amazing word of mouth successes. So look for that. Until next week, he's Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. He has been, well, I guess we'll continue to be, Rohit Bargava from Non-Obvious. Thanks so much for listening to Social Pros. <laughs>